is a phrase that I have heard at different times. I've used myself at different times. You may have encountered it as well. Uh, sometimes it's, some, it's a phrase I hear after you hear about someone who does something maybe a little bit risky, a little bit crazy, someone who you know, wrestles crocodiles or skydives or uh, skis down some crazy mountain or tackles the 96-ounce steak at the restaurant. And the phrase is, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Uh, I thought of that phrase as I was studying in Genesis 5. Because in Genesis 5, we have descriptions of lots of men dying, lots of men living, and yet one man standing out amongst all of them. In Genesis chapter 5, we find an interesting account. It's a chapter that maybe is not one of your favorite chapters in the Bible because it's mostly a genealogy. And often as we're reading through genealogies, we kind of wanted to skip along and move along because doesn't really matter to us who's born and when and all these kinds of things. And yet, it seems to be very important to Moses and to God throughout the book of Genesis. And we find several genealogies. It seems to be there's a pattern almost in some ways of here's a story and then here's some genealogies and, and here's some more narrative and here's some more genealogies. If you were last week, I mentioned that I think that's in large part because God is demonstrating how he's continuing to carry out his promise that through the offspring of the woman that we would find blessing rather than the curse, that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And in Genesis 5, we have, in a sense, a second genealogy. A few weeks back, we looked at Genesis chapter 4 and we found the genealogy of Cain. And again, that's a pattern we see in the book of Genesis that at the end of these narrations, often there's a genealogy about descendants that aren't the main branch. It begins with them here. It begins with with Cain, and then it moves on to Seth. Uh, Later on, we find a similar thing with uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and and before that with Hem and Japheth, and then with Shem. And and so we, we see pretty regularly there is a genealogy of what happened with some descendants, but then there's one that's a bit more of a focus. And in this, as we read through it, I want you to to notice two different parts of what's happening here. One is there is a pattern. There's a repetition. And and I think the the things that are included in this pattern repetition are supposed to teach us certain things. But there's also a few points in which that pattern is not the same. And that's also there to kind of help us to say, okay, something is important here. So as we read through chapter 5, Look for the pattern and also look for the times in which that pattern is broken. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years 
became the father of Canaan. And Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Canaan. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalo. And Canaan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years, became the father of Jared. Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years, became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years, became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years, became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, the other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work, and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I want to begin with what we see repeated throughout this chapter and consider what that repetition is meant to show us. I want to just briefly mention the very beginning of verse 1 of chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In some ways, that's the heading that's pretty common throughout Genesis, where we have, this is the generation of so-and-so. We already found this in chapter 2 and verse 4, these generations of the heavens and the earth. In 6 and verse 9, we're going to see the generations of Noah, and then 10 and 1, the generations of Shem. And in some ways, it's often kind of pointing to what happens after this person, or what became of this person. The one slight difference here is the reference to the book of the generations of Adam. Uh, the word doesn't necessarily require it's a full book, but it does point to the idea that it is a written document of some kind, which I think in some ways would help us to, to say that what Moses is using here is something that actually was written down. And, and I can't say this for certain, but I think many have speculated in part because of this that Noah may have actually taken a document like this onto the ark. And so part of why we know what happened after the flood was there actually is a written account of the creation and these kinds of things. But largely it's just pointing to, again, here's what's coming from Adam. And in verses 1 and 2, we have a reminder of some ways of what we found in chapter 1 and verses 26 and 28. God creates man, and he makes them male and female, and he names them Adam in the day when they were created. And then verse 3, we find what's happening with Adam. 
And we begin to see this pattern. The pattern is they live for a certain time. They have a son. The son is named. They have other sons and daughters. They live for a certain other period of time. And then they die. And so part of what we see emphasized throughout this chapter is death. And perhaps this is exactly the chapter that Paul's thinking of when he's writing in Romans chapter 5. And he says, death reigned from Adam until Moses. Because Adam dies and Seth dies and Enosh and so on. Everyone dies. They all die over and over and over again. That death is reigning and no one seems to be able to avoid it. And yet there is still in some senses indications of God's blessings and kindness to them. One of the ways that we see his blessing is how long these people live. They live extremely long lives. And in the Old Testament, there's an emphasis of long life being a blessing from the Lord. So I think we see here in some senses an indication that Adam through Seth and this godly line, this line that's continuing God's promise, is enjoying God's blessing. I don't think we should understand the fact that these people lived longer because of a theory that in the past was called the canopy theory. The day before the flood, there was a special atmosphere that, that allowed people to, to live longer. And that's in large part because we don't see that explicitly taught in the Bible. That was one explanation that, that creation scientists tried to think about and, and understand the nature of the flood. But really, scientifically, it doesn't really work. And so I don't think we'd attribute it to some kind of canopy theory. I think most likely what we would say is the effects of sin and the effects of the fall have not yet taken the effect that they have later on. And so now we have increasing diseases and genetic uh, uh, faults and sicknesses and our environment and natural disasters and a whole host of things that make our lives shorter. These weren't in place at the beginning of creation, at the beginning of the curse and the fall. And think in some ways of the blessings of a life like this. You know, perhaps sometimes you feel like just when I'm beginning to understand how I'm supposed to live and how things are supposed to function, that's when I start losing my physical abilities. My mind starts slipping. I think, boy, if I just, if I could still be the age I am and have all the knowledge and experience and skill that I have, but have more energy and have more life in front of me, imagine what I could do. Well, imagine what you could do if you lived 900 years. But there was certainly great productivity, great wisdom, great skill that these people were able to craft and able to accomplish. And yet, what's interesting is that while they certainly lived long lives and probably accomplished a whole lot, we don't know anything about it. Except for what? They had a son and other sons and daughters. In a sense, you could take 900-some years of this person's life and say, you know what really mattered? This child. Why? Because this is how God was continuing to carry out his promise. The most important thing about them was that they were being used by God to accomplish his purposes. And yet there are three points in this chapter in which there is variation. The first is at the very beginning with Adam. 
The second is in the middle with Enoch. And the third is at the very end with Lamech and Noah. And I want to hit the beginning and the end and then focus again on the middle. At the very beginning with Adam, what do we see that's different? Well, it mentions that he lived 103 years, became the father of a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. And this is here, I think, at least to help us to understand that just as Adam was made in the image of God, that image is being passed on. That it didn't end with Adam and Eve. That those who came after them also have God's image and God's likeness. And yet perhaps, because it doesn't hit it directly from God, but it kind of hits it through Adam, there might be some indication that his sinful nature is being passed on as well. That now Seth carries the guilt and the sin nature from Adam. And so we find in verse 5 that Adam, yes, he lived 930 years, but just like God had said when he sinned against God, he did die. He suffered the consequences of God's judgment on his sin. Let's go to the end then of this chapter. Verse 28. Verse 29, we, we find Lamech actually naming his son. Others, it just mentions the son was born. Here, he actually gives him a name. He calls his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work. And from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord has cursed. The name Noah is similar to the, the word for rest. Um, Lamech seems to as well use potentially a word that, that points to comfort or relief. You might have it translated that way, or even in Asby, you'll see there's a note that he will comfort us. And so it seems in some ways that, that Lamech is, is looking to Noah as some type of hope. Hope for what? Relief. Rest. Comfort. Why? Because this world is a world of sorrow and pain and toil. That the curse, the ground, has been cursed, just like we read back in Genesis 3. And that now, life is not a life of ease. Life is a, pain, a life of pain and sorrow and turmoil. If you were last week, we mentioned the fact that we can't say definitively that there are no gaps in this genealogy. I, I, I tend to think Genesis 5 doesn't have gaps, but even if it did, uh, I don't think we'd have a whole lot of time from the time of Adam until the time of Lamech. If you actually would look at the numbers and say, there are no gaps and these are the numbers, Adam actually lives 50 years into Lamech's life. So Adam's still alive when Lamech is born. And yet, by the end of Adam's life, we go from the Garden of Eden, in which everything is perfect and everything is set up beautifully. So now, the world is in such a state that Lamech is in a sense crying out, I need relief. I need comfort. 
from this painful toil, from this ground. We need something to save us. In part because of this judgment. Now right in the middle of this chapter, there is a third variation. And that third variation, you hopefully noticed, was in the life of Enoch in verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years, became the father of Methuselah. And in verse 22, we'd expect to hear what we've heard every other time. Something like, then Enoch lived so many years. But it doesn't say he lived. What does it say that he did? It says he walked with God 300 years. He didn't just live. He actually walked with God. And it's interesting. If you compare what we, we find in chapter 5 with what we saw in chapter 4, I think there's, there's two interesting connections. One is the fact that Enoch is the seventh in this genealogy. And in chapter 4, the seventh in the genealogy was Lamech. If you remember, if you looked in chapter 4, Lamech was someone who demonstrated just how great sin had become in its ungodly line. He takes two wives and he boasts about his violence and his pride. And he, he throws God's judgment in his face, basically saying, I don't need God to protect me. I'm going to take care of myself. You compare that then with Enoch here and this line in which those who are calling on the name of Yahweh, the line of Seth, and we see a stark difference. But we also see a stark difference with another Enoch. Go back, if you would, to chapter 4 and verse 17. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. That in some ways in chapter 4, we see Cain beginning to emphasize himself and his children and the promises and rewards of this life. And so he names the city after Enoch. In a sense, we see in the line of Cain something that we see later on in, uh, in Babel and Nimrod, which is a desire to make a name for yourself. We'll build this city, and the city will be a testament to our greatness and our power. And yet the opposite of that is the Enoch in chapter 5, one who is not focused on himself the one who is walking with God. That he is living in close communion and relationship with God. That language, in some ways, should make us think back to something we heard back in chapter 3. That the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. The kind of fellowship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God in the garden 
that in some ways Enoch seems to be getting a taste of that even after the fall. So not to the same level, and yet he is able to walk with God. That language is used in the next chapter, in chapter 6 and verse 9, to describe Noah. But Noah walked with God and therefore was a righteous man and blameless in his time. So here we have someone who in all, I think we'd say in every aspect of his life, is seeking to honor God in his words, in his thoughts, in his actions, in his delights, in his repentance, and all these things, he is walking with God. And then there's a second way in which Enoch's life is different from everyone else's. Because after verse 23, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, what should we expect to see? And he died. But we don't see that. What do we see? A repetition again. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That language is used in another place to describe seemingly something similar. In 2 Kings chapter 2, talking about Elijah, that Elisha is told, do you know that today God is going to take your master? And so what we see here is that Enoch did not experience death. We know that in part because that's made explicit to us in the book of Hebrews. If you would, open up to Hebrews chapter 11 so you can see this. Hebrews 11, and verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. Why? For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. That he was walking with God. And how was it possible for him to do that? Verse 6. Well, the only way he could do that is by faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so what do we know about Enoch? He believed that God is. I think that would be tied in with the very beginning of chapter five. We're made in his image. He made us. And we're made in his image, which means we were made for him. We were made to know him. And Seth is still in this likeness, which means there is still a possibility for us to have a relationship with God. It is possible for us to know him, to walk with him. And so Enoch believed, yes, I am made for God, and therefore I will seek him, and in seeking him, I will find reward. Because God rewards those who diligently seek him. And so he rewarded Enoch by keeping him from experiencing death, but instead taking him to be with himself. So what can we learn from Genesis chapter 5? One small thing, first of all, 
It's interesting. In Genesis 5, we find the oldest man in the Bible, Methuselah. That's one of those Bible trivia questions. When you're in Sunday school, you want to know that answer. Who's the oldest man who ever, you know, ever recorded in the Bible? And how old was he? 969 years. Can you imagine? Almost a thousand years. Yet, what does Psalm 94 tell us? Psalm 90 and verse 4 says, Thousands of years with the Lord is a day. The day is like a thousand years. Methuselah lived such a long time that he didn't even reach anything in comparison to God. But yes, in some ways, we might look at these people and think these are the patriarchs. These are great people, but their greatness pales in comparison to God's greatness. What else we see in Genesis 5 is that long life is a blessing, but it is not the greatest blessing. Who had the shortest life in that whole chapter? Enoch. Do you think Enoch would have preferred to live 900 and some years on this earth? No way. Yes, certainly, in many ways, it is a blessing of the Lord if he gives us a long life on this earth. The greatest blessing is always being able to be with him. Far greater than any more time we could have in this world. We won't go there, but Enoch is mentioned one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Jude. I'm going to read to you Jude 14 and 15. It's also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. But certainly in chapter 5, we see judgment. Enoch himself, someone who preached that God judges ungodly deeds. And yet, what do we also see? There's a hope of relief. There's a hope that perhaps we don't have to face that judgment. And in some ways, we have the privilege and responsibility to be like Enoch. To proclaim to our world, death is certain. Judgment is coming. But relief is offered. Rest is offered. Comfort is offered. How? Because death is not the final enemy. Or at least it's not an unconquerable final enemy that it will not have the final say. I mentioned that if we look at the actual timeline in Genesis 5, I believe it to be accurate, that Adam actually lived into Lamech's life. He also lived into Enoch's life. And yet he would have died during Enoch's life. In some ways, can you imagine 
what kind of a funeral Adam would have had? There's a lot of family, right? We're talking about generation after generation after generation after generation. At the same time, how unsettling would it have been for Adam to die? The first man lived 930 years, and now he is dead. And I think that would have driven home the message of judgment to all of those who would have known Adam. And so what does God do shortly after that? He reminds everyone as well, yes, there's death, but yes, there's also life. But if you walk with God, you will not ultimately die. And yet the only way that you can escape death in this sin-cursed world is by walking with God. Because death reigned in sin. Yet even so, grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might help us Lord, to long to have the testimony that Enoch had. That is perhaps our children, our grandchildren, look back at our lives that they might say, he walked with God. She walked with God. Because of the faith that he demonstrated of the faith that she had and now they're not dead but they live with you Lord help us to hold fast to this message of hope to proclaim both judgment and relief we pray this in and through the name of Jesus Christ Amen.